This show is about nothing and everything at the same time. We are a diverse group with our own ideas and experiences, which in no way is meant to represent an absolute truth. We know nothing. The three of us have our own biases, experiences, and are just looking to pursue deeper understanding. We're bound to make mistakes in our pursuit of shared wisdom. You're invited to learn along with us. But when yeah. people talk yeah. about people that I like negatively, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't get upset when people have different opinions than me. What, what do you think about where that's coming from? Well, I think, to, to be honest with you, because I have thought a lot about it, I think it's the creeping narcissism in our culture. And I see it in movies, and I very much see it in politics, and I very much see it in an individual level. And so... Uh, this is something, I, this is a book that I recommend, I've recommended before to a lot of people. It's called The Fall of Public Man. It's by a, a sociologist named Richard Sennett. I think it was written in the 70s or 80s. It's a brilliant book. So it's not necessarily my idea, but he traces this kind of the origins of narcissism in politics. And the idea is the politician that you favor or the ideas that you favor, it's not just ideas. But your ego is involved in it. Your sense of self is involved in it. You not just identify with the leader, but your whole personality, your whole identity is now meshed with that cause. So for you to hear doubts about Bernie Sanders, the slightest little flicker of doubt about Bernie or the slightest flicker of doubt about Trump, it's personal. Man, you're attacking me. You're saying that I'm stupid. You're saying that I'm vicious. You're saying something about me. So it's the inability to divorce politics from the personal. And this is a very, very dangerous thing because I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I like it when people challenge me, my ideas, when they say, Robert, you know, that's kind of a stupid idea. Biden is really weak. Democrats have done this, that, and the other. And I don't, and I'm like you, I don't agree with everything that they support either. And I like, I like to be challenged. I like to hear opposing ideas. I like people to tell me that I'm wrong. And then, but then I want them to explain it rationally. I don't want them to be all emotional. I want them to give me a point-by-point -point attack of what I have said. And I love it when it happens, and I'm very open to changing my ideas. But in order to reach that point, you have to have a level of security with, from within, and you have to be more interested in ideas than in your ego. I mean, you're the one that wrote the book on that, so I think you, you know, I think that's what we're trying to kind of convey is that how we emotionally get attached to these things or these ideas. And this doesn't necessarily need to be with politics, but I think that um, that it could be anything that we've kind of invested in time, effort, um, spending our, a lot of spending a lot of like, um, you know, like that's kind of being a part of a fandom. That's part of being part of um, a collective, uh, a, like a religious sect or allegiance to these things, like you've invested it. So once you attack the, my, you attack my school, you're attacking me personally, and then I get emotionally compromised. Um, you know, and I think that's that. Like I think he kind of conveyed that in a way that kind of speaks to what we're trying to um, talk about here. And that was Robert Green being interviewed by um, uh, Ryan Holiday. Uh, via the Daily Stoic podcast, uh, I think I think it kind of sums up what we're trying to. Um... No, exactly. I mean, ultimately, part 
one, we looked at our own experiences in tribe, right? Part two, we looked at how tribes uh, and, and then ultimately marketing and culture drive us into a certain space that we they're comfortable that we're comfortable in. And then today, yeah, we're looking at kind of that nature of healing our culture and being able to elevate our tribal communities amongst each other, right? Like not necessarily having this ego where somebody, um, it can be a quorum. It can be a space where we are able to dialogue and discourse and have disagreements and be able to um, hear instead of uh, ignoring what the other person's points of view are or just not even listening and waiting for our moment to take that jab, take that, like, (laughs) take that uppercut. Yeah, yeah. Because that ultimately is the the space where a lot of people want to go because, yeah, you're right. Like they're emotionally compromised or they just they're not. I, I mean, they're, people aren't going to be comfortable hearing this, but they're not comfortable in who they are to be able to um, take a knock like that. Yeah, well, and I think that and then the knock is I think is per, like like what 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 Robert Green was uh, saying is that it's per, they're 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 feeling personally attacked. Right. And I think that's like they're not it's no longer about what you're the the theme or the item or whatever it is. It's a personal attack on my personal soul. So then you're willing to defend it. And then and if you're not to um, the death. Yeah. And if you're not if you're not disciplined enough to have patience, because I think like I, I'm a personal believer in my own faults of understanding that when I used to get angry a lot when I was younger, I thought not only did I not have any patience, but I didn't have any discipline to actually give me patience. So I think those two things coincide together. You have to have discipline within yourself to re- to resist, which turns into patience. And I think when I was younger, I wasn't able to have um, I didn't have either one of them. And this, I didn't have any discipline at all. And I think that's kind of what you have to look inside yourself to kind of make sure that you, you, you strengthen that discipline and your beliefs that, that like and having a rational conversation. I think that this kind of goes, this tribalism can leak into, you know, personal like um, relationships too. Like just getting angry and upset about a certain thing and getting emotional because um, the significant other knows exactly what to say that make you angry. And then you're already kind of getting to the point where you're, you're able to, you're willing to fight for this, this belief in something that is, probably pretty um pointless it's just that you know, you want to fight and i think that and i think there's a basic part of our brains that just wants to lash out in this defensive mode in um this anger mode without actually uh thinking stopping and thinking and then also developing that discipline i, I mean you talking about ryan holiday and the podcast kind of made me think right like stillness is the key there's that part in there where he's talking about kennedy and yeah and the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah, and how he was able to, I mean, just despite his upbringing, right? Like, I, I pulled open the book, right? Like, Kennedy was a young president born into immense privilege, raised by an aggressive father who hated to lose, in a family whose motto they joked was, don't get mad, get even. This is the same man who showed the patience of mind not to attack, not to make aggressive moves, but to patiently wait and make it so that there wasn't this global airstrike between really Russia and the United States um, or USSR and the United States, but rather being patient and, and waiting and making it so that there was a peaceful resolution to that conflict. Yeah, no. And then I, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do. And I think like, 
anybody that's that wants to learn more about any of this stuff should <laughs> ryan holiday is kind of like that guy he did um uh, obstacles away into the stillness is the key yeah and then into yeah. ego uh, yeah. all three of those books are uh, some of my favorite books and he's one of my favorite authors and he's like uh today and i and i still uh love robert green's book as well all his books too um but they kind of like 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 specifically ryan's books they kind of just go so well with each other that whole that the whole trilogy yeah um yeah the kind of encompassing thing of just trying to be a better um person and understanding understanding all the, diff- the difficulties and how to work around them and how to work with them and also um and, it's, and it kind of has a lot of philosophy from bruce lee right where like things come at you you don't just force it you kind of just go with the flow and i think there's a lot of that with how we handle tribalism is the same we got to just stop and think Yeah, I mean we're we're like jumping into this hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is right. good, which is which is exactly what we need to do because I mean we've we've talked about it in very ambiguous ways, but now we're at this point where we're looking to wrap up this tribes piece and and we want to have this conversation of what's the resolution? Like how can we encourage people to take the steps to kind of yeah, remove ego and listen and have conversations uh, this is a great place to say, hey, if you're a listener of this podcast, uh, co- comment and check out our, our our blog and comment on there about ways that you are trying to engage people to think deeper and even yourself. Like what are ways that you've catch yourself and you're creating awareness to where you are seeing uh, opportunities to grow and expand and not just take everything as what it should be or what it is because a lot of things that we're fed in our society and in episodes down the line uh, that we may have right we don't know what the truth is a lot of times and you have to sometimes explore your own truth and be able to hear other people's truth and be able to peacefully uh, sit with all that information and then let it land and then digest it and and move forward no, I agree with you. And I, I think that's what we're trying to do. I, I you know, and I think this podcast is, is really about learning. And obviously, I always I looked at it like oh, there's going to be a lot of people that don't like the popular like our opinion, because maybe it's not the popular opinion or, or one of our opinions, which because it's not popular. And then they're getting emotionally compromised because of what we said or what we did. And I think that is the point we're trying to make is that if something is making you upset by somebody that knows nothing then is it really my, is it really me? Or is it really the part, like, are you getting upset? And it's then you're getting emotionally compromised. Why is that making you so upset? And I think that's the same thing we're dealing with in tribes is like, you're willing to do something without rationally thinking it through, which causes a lot of um, issues, right? Like, uh, Tao, we could talk about how the the, the, the the thing that we just went through with the PlayStation 5 pre-orders, <laughs> which I think has a lot to do with uh, what we're looking at. And that was just something that recently just happened. And then you can see kind of the mayhem that went through it. You're seeing people getting angry. You're seeing people getting mad. You're seeing people getting happy. You're seeing people rubbing in, in another person's face. You're seeing people like publicly denouncing PlayStation because they couldn't get a pre-order. <laughs> You're seeing so much stuff and so many emotional responses going flagging online because of this uh, this legiency to this this one particular company or this one particular item by uh, a 
by a bigger company, right? Yeah. And I mean, to provide some context, uh, some more context, rather, you know, the PlayStation 5 was just released and it wasn't supposed to go up for pre-order and then suddenly it did. It was up on one store site and then another, then another, and people were scrambling to try to pre-order this console. Um, and what's interesting is that there was this definitely an apparent division that occurred where, you know, obviously people who were happy with Sony, happy with PlayStation and got their pre-orders were excited. People who didn't were upset. And then you had the people who never had an intention to pre-order PlayStation because they were going to get an Xbox. And so they were just sitting there going like, oh, this is terrible. Like Sony did a horrible job with the pre-orders, which, you know, they did, but they kind of used it as a way to push how superior their brand was by saying like, oh, Microsoft isn't going to do this to us. Microsoft already announced when they were going to do pre-orders well in advance. Um, and it's funny that that happened because you know there were a lot of factors that went into the entire mess that came with these pre-orders. And part of it could have been Sony's fault for not being clear to retailers about exactly when they were going supposed to go up. But at the same time, it wasn't Sony that sent out an email to the retailers that said, hey, all of you, just release it right now. It was the retailer that said, we're going to do this now. Um, and so, but automatically, because we have these groups, these tribes of Sony versus Xbox, immediately just the blame just went straight to Sony when it was a variety of different factors. Yeah. And, and so, and me and Tao participated in the mayhem that day and we both kind of went through and went through the motions of what everybody else was going through. Um, for me, I was like on that, like me and Tao are pretty level headed in the sense that even though we're, we're partaking in this mayhem, we're also in the very much like, yeah, well, we'll get it eventually, you know? And I think me and Tao can both agree that we're not, we're not going to go and, get really mad at Sony in case we didn't get it, but we both did, but like, we're just not the type of people that get super mad. You know, it's just something we really enjoy. And I, I enjoyed being a part of it, even if I didn't get anything, you know? Um, yeah. And then I, that's, and I think that's the, that's how it should be dealt with. Like it should be a kind of, a, it was kind of something fun to do that day for me. Um, so I did enjoy it. Me and Tower going back and forth, trying to figure out, Oh, go here, go here, go there, go. And that was a lot of fun. And that was kind of cool going back and forth and trying to do things. Um, but when the, the, when the day ended, it's like, I, it didn't really matter to me if I did or not. Um, because I, I kind of like, from a marketing standpoint, I understood that there's going to be a potential, uh, like there's going to be a potential another chance for me to get it during the holiday season. So I'm not worried about it. And I wasn't worried yeah. about it. And I think that's what people are not getting is that this is a marketing ploy to build up anticipation, build up the idea of like, oh, this thing is going to be so hard to get and I'm not going to get one for Christmas. And they're anticipating that that behavior because that happens every year. Um, so like what they're doing is not making enough or they're saying they don't have enough in order to kind of get that big boost during the holiday season, which is just the marketing ploy, which I understand. Um, and I think most people on some level do understand that, but yet still get really upset. You know, and I think there's a, um, and I think that's the thing is just trying to take these things and kind of really, really rationalize 
what's happening here so it doesn't need to get to the point where you need to go online and just vent and get angry. Yeah. Um, and we could definitely even do an entire episode on essentially what is artificial demand and how companies will create this buildup, this hype around a product, and then limit the quantities that they create in order to create this frenzy. I mean, I worked at GameStop during the heyday of the Nintendo Wii, and I remember what it was like to constantly have people coming in, calling, asking, like, do you have a Wii? Do you have Wiis in? And we never, ever had enough in. Um, and thinking back then, like, I never got consoles at launch date. I always had to wait, even as like a GameStop employee. Like I didn't buy my PlayStation 3 until the slim version came out. And then I bought a refurb fat edition of the original PS3. Yeah. But I mean, this happens with everything too. Um, the same thing happens <clears throat> with computer parts as well. Uh, I'd have to do a little bit more research before I can tell you too much about it. But essentially, if you build PCs, uh, all PCs have something called RAM in it. That's kind of what helps the computer run um, in layman's terms, I guess. I'm, I'm doing a terrible job explaining what <laughs> RAM is. But the cost of RAM has gone up exponentially. And part of it is that there has been, you know, this agreement amongst producers to create an artificially high price for RAM. Uh, the same thing also with glasses. If you ever look at the cost of sunglasses, there is, I think, literally one company that produces all the lenses for everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that creates this high price. But we're going off topic. No, now. no, but that's, uh, that's still, yeah, they we're looking at bit. like economics, right? But yeah, yeah. No, there's a whole, there's a like, and that's like where Warbly Parker kind of came in to kind of like mess with that whole, um, that whole industry, you know, but um, yeah, there's a whole, that's like a totally, another, a whole, total another topic on oh. um, the idea of the, you know, and how, what you were talking about, how, um, how to create demand and uh, supply yeah. and demand, right? And then like, and I think that can kind of come into and using me as a personal uh, example and trying to understand like the idea of smoke cards and what like, I am not trying to create like the demand thing is basically, I try to keep it into what I can handle because I do everything by myself. Um, I don't like, you know, I kind of do a lot of all my, all my other stuff. So it's kind of like the idea is like, I do what I can. I not, it's not like I'm about like those type of things. And then we look at something that is kind of um, like an iPhone you're looking at the idea that they they actually have they know how many they sell every time they do a, a release date they don't have to sell out they like you know kind of thing they know what they, they know what they're doing as far as that demand goes you know um and then there's like like an iphone or a playstation they don't like they're just they're, it's just kind of like the whole supply and demand thing which creates the frenzy that we're kind of witnessing now you know yeah. Um, but going back to what you and Spence were saying earlier about, you know, having these tribes, having these deep connections and trying to kind of combat the initial uh, defensive feelings that we have whenever someone brings up the tribe that we're in. Um, essentially, what you two were talking about is cognitive therapy, um, which is a form of uh, psychotherapy that targets your thoughts and how they impact behaviors. And the idea behind it is that you need to understand and recognize your distorted thinking and then basically consciously 
try to change the behavior that is associated with that. And you do it constantly until that becomes something that you can do without having to think about it. And so by recognizing that, hey, I'm reacting negatively to this for no reason, taking that moment to step back and then adjusting your behavior after that realization and doing that again and again until you know you repeat it enough that it just becomes something that you do naturally. That is essentially what cognitive therapy is. And that is essentially what you two were describing as a way to overcome these, I guess, implicit biases that we have. It's tough because when we're looking at all of this, there is that factor that's right in your face, right? That right is right in front of you, that's comfortable, that you know, um, and that familiarity. But the challenge is what you're talking about, pulling away and being able to, yeah, use that prefrontal cortex and critically think about what's really in front of you, right? Like I'm getting to the point now where it's like, I don't, I mean, I only trust what I know 100% and can full on trust, right? Um, I mean, we're getting in, we're like looking at doing a politics season, but it's like, what, like, what do, what, what is real? in politics um how much i mean like you can photoshop things you can they can um, change how video looks and works and all of that um there's people in the world that can do that so um it's tough i mean there's things that i know right like we have one candidate who is an incumbent um for for, for this for president for this country that has done a lot of things that i know like that are uh, atrocious and then you have another candidate that um there's been things that pop up that kind of seem very uncomfortable. And it's like, well, are those real things? Are they doctored? I don't know. Um, and I'm referring to uh, the Democratic uh, candidate who has been seen like petting and doing and saying weird things to young girls. Right. Like to me, that's not OK. Yeah. And then and you're so looking at like that. Like then you're looking at is that do they have they don't have anything else. Are they grasping? Right. And then just find they're looking for stuff. They So you're like, you know, there's so many different um, ways that you can play this to kind of look at it. Like it, like you said, is things being um, doing like if things being kind of uh, promoted in a way. And then, then when you look at this, this is it kind of clearly comes down to je- like obviously speaking to each tribe, a Democratic Party versus a Republican Party. And then you're trying to market and discredit each one of them by doing um, by creating these stories or creating these or spotlighting behaviors in order to this um, to discredit them. Right. And I think that they've done this. This is a, this is not like a new thing. This is something they've done every single time since I've known of politics This is what they've always done. Um, you know, watching like the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day Lewis, they've done they did the same thing in there. You know, like they like the, like the discrediting of a candidate has always been kind of like the game plan. Um, granted, you know, like I don't know what's true, I don't know what's correct, I don't know what's anything, but I do know what I don't like, right? And it's the same thing, you Spencer. Yeah. I don't like that stuff either. I don't like the stuff on the other side either. But I but I do. There's one baseline thing I do know and I do trust is I don't think anybody gets to this level of office without burying something, you know? Yeah. Um, so and that kind of being st- that being said, I don't like therefore I don't really trust any of these people. But but I do I do want somebody that actually is able to calm down people. Right. And that's what I want. I want somebody to be able to calm people down. 
um, which this one, um, like the current one, doesn't seem to be able to do that. He seems to just make everybody more angry and more against each other. Um, well, no, he said he didn't want to cause a panic, remember? Oh, yeah, he doesn't cause any <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. But uh, I think that's that we get into, like, um, I just want, I want, I want some, like, we want something to be kind of, um, calm and chill, you know, that's kind of like what we're, what we're striving for. Cause this just seems to be a little bit, this year has been a little bit chaotic for everyone. I think that's what people are looking forward to. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, so yeah, I don't trust either one of them, but, <laughs> but um, I mean, and that's the hard, that's the hard part about politics in general. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I remember, yeah, like, uh, I wrote a song on campaign finance reform when, like, I was in political science too. And this was like the '90s, and that was ha that was a big thing. And there's still like a big two party. It was like two you you have two candidates. It's probably been that this way for 30, 40, 50 years, where it's like why why are we given two options, and then that's the bottom line, right? As a society, like we haven't grown to a point where we can consider more than a Democrat or a Republican. Um, sure, we can we can. There are the other parties, but really they're not game players. They are people who come in and. Uh, throw off one party or another to the ultimate goal, right? I mean, you have um, Nader who allowed um, Bush to get into office, right? With a lot of people voting for the Green Party, and uh, and and uh, and then you don't even know if that's like their goal, right? Their goal is the knowing they weren't going to win, but they were just going to throw off the vote count. And then you don't even but know what like important. you don't know all the backwards dealings that kind of go into these things. And that's why like politics is really hard. And even like on a base level, right? We're looking at how we deal with um, how we have um, we, we take we take this idea of politics, take it down to a different level, right? And look at your uh, look at student council meetings. Look at um, like look at your staff meetings. Look at like a lot of these other things are basically small time versions of what they do. And it is almost then it's pretty it's pretty um, obvious to see how these things are ran um, to see which ones are willing to do something or align with somebody else to get what they want. Right. And, it, and it's done on the yeah. like on it's done on the student, the student council level. And then it's done on like the, the, the city council level. It's done on like. Any kind of situation where you're kind of like a board of directors is kind of like joining together. You're looking at how to get this person to align with you. Um, and then Seinfeld did a good episode on it with uh, Jerry's dad running for the office of the for his um, uh, condo board. Right. And it's the kind of the, the where they were doing all those backward dealings and on trying to get people to go to their side to get votes. And, and then it's done on the, such a like a comedic level. But. That's exactly what we're dealing with here, you know, in order to get nominations, in order to get this thing, in order to throw out votes. Maybe you got like maybe the Republicans, Like, the, granted, I don't know anything about this, but I'm just saying from a from a story point, the storytelling aspect, maybe like the Republicans went and got Nader to do that just to throw off the votes. Right. And that's super fun. That story's fun. And then yeah. probably not true, but it's fun to think about. Right. I think that that's what's happening. That's the conspiracy it's a better story than maybe what really happened. Um, so it's like, cause like, and then, and what really happened was probably Nader just wanted to have some kind of uh, put himself out there and then get some kind of book deal afterwards. It was more, it was more ego driven than it was actually doing anything else. Like that could be the real story, but the other story is way more fun. Um, Do either of you watch the Simpsons or like, did you watch the Simpsons growing up? When we were, yeah, when yeah. we were growing up, I haven't watched it. Like, I don't even know if it's still on. Uh, yeah. I think it is, but every time election season comes up, I always think of this classic Treehouse of Horror episode. 
um, where the aliens, King and Kodos come and they take the identity of Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. And at the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end when they're about to actually vote, uh, they are all saying like, we're not going to vote for you. We're going to vote for a third party person. And one of the aliens goes, go ahead, throw away your vote. It's a two party (laughs) system. And in the end, everyone does actually vote for one of the two aliens who, you know, it's clearly going to enslave the entire planet, but they all voted still because it's a two party system. Right, right. So, like, when, when you were bringing up that, Spence, I think there's this kind of this, I think, like, you know, after, like, I read this book that um, Tao recommended, which was the, and I keep, I keep thinking about a lot recently, and I was trying to apply that to my work, and then apply it to a lot of other things, was, was what was it called, Tao? It was a losing... The paradox? The paradox <laughs> of choice, right? So, Tao recommended mm-hmm. this book years ago. I just got around to reading it recently. Um, and I think that comes down to what we're dealing with now is that we cannot have an infinity amount of choices. We can't like that. And I think that causes chaos, confusion, frustration. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff that goes into why things are done like on a two party level or this kind of stuff is because they just can't like things cannot function with um, so many different choices. Like say, for instance, me, at Spencer being parents, like what is it? What, what would it be like? to take the kids and give them any choice, <laughs> every choice in the world, right? And then you're looking at that on a level of, um, of a society and we cannot, and then a society can't f- a function with so many like options, I think. And I think that's like why there's a, a thing there. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially with like art or, and then, or what I do um, in order to kind of like challenge myself and also kind of look at things on a creative aspect like, can you do this with just limiting yourself and, and setting rules for yourself? Can I like limit like a color palette down to three and make it work? Can I just do this in pen and like pen and ink only? Can I do this at a ballpoint pen only? And then setting these rules and these things and then seeing what you can do creatively with just limiting these options. And it's, 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 it's somewhat um, kind of like what I, I think I was talking to my daughter about it. It kind of like creates like a scope, like, like a shooting scope where it kind of blacks out everything out, creates a tunnel vision of what your goal is, and it makes it way easier to accomplish. And I think that's like what the paradox of choice kind of was, um, you know, what I got out of it. And I think that's why there's only um, so many options for us. And I think if you gave us affinity, it would just be a disaster, you know? Yeah. No, I get that. It's hard. The the hard part for me. Okay. So, I mean, if we look at recent candidates, it seems like Obama was the most landslide, right? right. Otherwise, it's been pretty, it's been pretty close. And he, I mean, in a lot of ways, he was very moderate, right? And a lot of these candidates, they might be on one party or another, but they're very moderate. Outside of any, like, things that, like, um, people might think, in deep state is like elevating Obama. Right. Cause they're, I don't know. I have friends who are like, Obama is like, has relations to the Clintons and the Bushes and like, yeah, and they're all other together. People. They're all like, you don't, um, get, you know, yeah, they're all, they're all together. It's all just inbred. Yeah. Right. And so that idea, um, but he, again, so jumping back yeah, he was the most landslide, very moderate. Um, not much got pushed through one way or another. I don't, I look at my own personal, I mean, I, so I, I had an opportunity. Yeah, it was like high school student. Like I, I, my goal was to be student body president. Right. right. Um, 
I didn't know very many people. At one point, I'm like, you know what? Um, I would kind of befriend people in a way initially to just just like, you know what? Who are they going to vote for? They're going to vote for a person that they know and is their friend or are they going to vote for that person that just is asking them for their vote? So I like intentionally try to get to know other every person. My heart changed in that process to be like, you know what? No, I should just be getting to know these people in general and just and, and loving on these people in general just because that's what. I needed to do not in any form of other manipulative tactic. Right. When I was in, in college, I actually did student government as well. I was a I was a student senator at University of Oregon. And there it was interesting because um, it's a funny setup. Like they have you do this meeting in the summer uh, Wednesdays at four o'clock. I live in Portland. I was like, there's no way in hell you're going to get me to go down to U of O in the middle of the summer, like two hour drive from Portland um, in the middle of a day, in the middle of the week. And so I uh, I sent a proxy. Right. And so I had somebody that was like, hey, you go. I mean, like, let me know what they're talking about and I will um, let you know what I think about that. And uh, one of the school reporters, he knew he knew me and he was like, this isn't Spencer. Right. Nobody else really knew me. So he like called me out and wrote this article on it like how the student <laughs> senator and I, I still i'm not i'm never going to respect that dude in the rest right, of my life i'm right. like you like you were going to throw me under the bus like that all right because he called me and he was like what happened and i'm like i just shot straight right and that's what i and and it was you know, honest journalism right. spent i know so it's like that one guy on fox that was or that guy on the cnn God. that was ripping trump saying no sir i'm just reporting what you're saying i'm not having i don't have a i don't have no. a thing you know I know. I know. OK, I know. But still, I mean, we hooped together in, in high school. And so it's like he kind of got I wouldn't have been so forthcoming if we didn't like play the basketball yeah, together yeah. in high school. No, because on, you, trust, come on. You, trust, you gave him like inside information. No, that's what reporters do. They're all about oh, insider man. information, bro. That's what they <laughs> I know. I know. I was stupid for that. But uh, the big thing. I'm like that I'm getting the hard part is like, can we I don't know in society, can we get somebody who is elevated, elevated in their thinking is is trustworthy? I don't like maybe the last person was like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he wasn't even right. you know, like, well, like who the yeah, hell? I don't think any of them were right. Well, because like, look at look at like, you know, me and my dad had a conversation. And then obviously we're talking about the tribes. Between, like right now, this is like this is relevant because of the tribes between Republicans and Democrats. Right. There's the, that's the tribes. Right. And that's leading up into November. So um, my dad, me and my dad were talking and we were looking at like, like, and like me, my dad is like a diehard Democrat. He will vote for like a Democrat, even if it's terrible. Right. Um, so, so we we're talking about it. And then we were talking about, I was like, yeah, well, they like, I think they're trying to get uh, the Camilla, her name Camilla, Camilla. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and then we were talking about, my dad brought up this interesting thing that he was saying that like, uh, he's all, yeah, we like, we kind of like, well, I have friends that kind of know her because my dad used to like do a lot of Native American politics. So there's a lot of um, stuff that they, they kind of met with these people, a lot of people on a certain level, especially here in California. She's from Oakland. Um, so we have um, my dad has people that know her and on, he, on, on like for us on a personal level, she is not somebody that supports Native Americans. And then like, so I had to go and tell, and then I was like, he's all, yeah, she's not really pro Native Americans. And I was like, yeah. And then like, so like for me, I like playing devil's advocate. I was like, well, yeah, this is a, this, this system is built on votes and our population doesn't really mean votes. You know, I was like, like the, the black vote is, is, is better. Like the Hispanic vote is better. We don't really matter anymore, you know? And then, and that's just real. 
like our population is is like some i think asians are, are have there's a stronger population than native americans um so therefore you can look at a lot of the different things where they're picking and choosing even her on her level is still picking and choosing what gets votes you know um and i think that's kind of then that that ends up being selfish on some kind of level um yeah and then that therefore you like look at it and then you, if you're willing to do that on the smallest level then what are you willing to do on the biggest level and then therefore like then then therefore it's all questionable you know and it's yeah. all ego driven and it's all and it's all like what like they're basically it gets to the point where you're getting to the point where power is really what they're after and then because and then um which which all of them are like nobody does this without wanting that and i don't think anybody wants to with that and then you hope that that's not what they want but i don't think anybody gets there without wanting that you know um that's scary and that's scary and that's that sucks and that, it, makes, it makes you feel like well like is there anybody that can rule this place like or even do it right because there's so many different people and then that's uh, that whole system right that whole system of a board of directors is is the system that we have adopted um that we got from the native americans was the council system which is all these people have a say and all, but the thing is, all those people that have a say, all those people want something as well, and usually yeah. for themselves. And then that's yeah, the that, problem right there. Oh. I know this is some bullshit, man. <laughs> yeah. Fucking bullshit. No, like, sorry, Tal. You can you can jump as like Tal. I'm passing this to you, but I just want to say this, like, like this. I'm a I'm a middle school PE teacher, but like more than anything, like this conversation is like driving me to be like, you know what? No, hell no. I'm about to just get into politics and just start. To, <laughs> doing work because it's not about like to me like yeah it's not about power it, i would i would do it and i would try to do it my best in an egoless way yeah. which it's like yeah there's i mean like that's i'd be who who does that yeah. right like my garbage man probably lives life in a very egoless way like the mailman lives life in a oh, very egoless dude, way but you, you know there's you know, like you bring that up and it's coming back i just finished the, i just finished the book uh, meditations um uh, based on uh you know buddha is uh, by by like you know the that teachings of buddha i've been really kind of interested in that you know what's interesting is that you just bring that up and it kind of harkens back to this story they shared where this one lady was like this really it was basically the embodiment of poor right like in poverty yeah. the embodiment of it was this young or this woman and she and then she kind of like they they said like oh well buddha's going to this thing he got invited he's going to this banquet he's going to do speaking she she found out about it so she like saw him and then she followed him because she knew she can ask him for something and he'd give it to her because it's buddha and then so she followed him and then he finally goes what can i do for you and she's all well i want to see if you give me food like um you know whatever you have left and he looks at her and he goes well, it's like, tell me you don't want food. And then she had to do this realization that she's never, ever said no to anything. So you like look at this, like, this, this story about the greediest person being the person that has nothing, that wanted everything that has nothing, you know? And it was like so interesting because then we don't know what the level of greed really is because somebody with nothing could absolutely want everything. And then they constantly have always wanted everything and they're willing to always take everything you offer and they've never turned anything away because they've always wanted everything. And then that that concept is just very fascinating to me that you can find greed even on the smallest level, you know, with people that don't have anything. And I was like, I was just like fascinated by that because then I started like look really looking at everything from like homeless people to like to myself to everything else to like people that have nothing tend to want more, you know.
And then once you once yeah. you have more, what do you do with it? You just like that person that wanted every like say for instance the person that wanted everything at the, when they had nothing. What do you think they're going to be like when they do have everything? They're going to just want more, I think, you know? And I think that's like, that's the kind of like, that kind of thing just makes me kind of just also cringe on on some kind of thing. Because if they've always, if they wanted something, then they're always going to want something there and they're willing, they're always going to be willing to take it. And then like, you know, that's why like those stories of like those super rich people, um, you know, I was listening to the podcast like when it was still on me and t- like the, the unbelievable podcast that's no longer around anymore. It's a conspiracy podcast, but they interviewed a guy that was, uh, you know, was at that. <laughs> you ever heard of that one weird thing where all the, the Democrats go to the mountains in, the, in California and have some kind of weird camp? Oh, I, I remember that. Yeah. Do you know um, that, Spence? No, but it makes yeah, sense. they got this weird place. I forgot what it's called, but the, like they all all the politicians go there and they act like they're roughing it, but they're really not. Right. Um, well, anyways, the podcast interviewed somebody that was um, supposed to be an, an employee of this camping situation. So the story goes is that he was uh, like a sir, like they all got servants and um, all these people. So uh, one of the Rockefellers was there and he was one mm-hmm. of the guys that got the weight on the Rockefellers. And he didn't get tipped at all. <laughs> so, like, so he was like, the whole story is that this dude has more money than the than the world, and he didn't even tip at all. So I'm you're looking at like the and then when you look at the story of the Rockefellers, they kind of did come from nothing, but they wanted a lot of stuff. And then it kind of came down to that is that person. They kind of came from nothing and did not throughout the throughout their life. They got to the point where they just never said no to anything and they just kept taking and i think that's kind of what what like what and then you then that 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 kind of just freaks me out as well you know and then that's what you look at i think when you look at nba players actors musicians that came from nothing um that want everything and they continue to want everything uh and that's scary too Okay, so I have a few things to say going back to throughout (laughs) this entire conversation. It's all right. I'm trying to reel it back to the topic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So earlier, you know, you both were talking about how difficult it is to really have a candidate that represents the best interests of everyone. And I think that one thing that makes our country really unique is the vast size and how different every part of the United States is. You know, you look at California and even within California, Northern Californians are different from Southern Californians and you can divide it even further that um, in that. And of course, you know, Californians are different from people who live in Oregon or Texas or Chicago. And so, um, you know, you have all these different people who have different tribes that they belong to. And in the first part of the series, we talked about how, now that we are all interconnected, it's easy to find various groups that we can belong to. You know, you could be a Democrat or a Republican. You could be a cat person or a dog person. Uh, you could be a Apple or Android person. And in the end, though, at the very base level, a lot of times, you know, we recognize ourselves as an individual, um, but also we have our our own family tribes. And these this family could be blood related or just simply the people who are closest to you, the people who you care the most about. And I think a lot of times that 
tribe takes precedent over all the other tribes. And what ends up happening is oftentimes people are uh, what we call single issue voters in that they have one, one policy or you know, one subject that they are really passionate about, whether it is gender rights or it's abortion, that is the thing that they are, it's make or break for them. And a lot of people vote based off of that. Um, and a lot of times that single issue is something that they feel impacts them, their beliefs, their the tribe that they belong to the most. And that's how votes happen. That's how, you know, we decide if we're going to vote for this candidate versus that. Um, and what ends up happening is, you know, now, especially, we have this really strong division where we are only focusing on what we want ourselves and not necessarily what works for everyone. But at the same time, it's hard to find out and figure out what works for everyone. Just in my position alone, in my job, you know, at more of a micro level, I have to deal with private schools. I have to deal with the UC system. I have to deal with the CSU system and also the community college system here in California. And I have to work through the politics because every individual institution, every individual system, they both want to, you know, implement things that benefit them the most. And in my position, you know, I have to put my students first, but at the same time, my students eventually are going to become, you know, private school students or UC students or CSU students. And so then I have to navigate, okay, what is this umbrella that I can, you know, benefit as many people as I can, but unfortunately, I'm still going to end up alienating some because it just doesn't fit everyone. And I think that is what makes it very difficult for our politics in our country because we are just such a big country. We have so many people. We will never be able to satisfy everyone. And we want everything uh, all the time. And we want everything. And the <laughs> other thing that I want to bring up is actually, you know, another example of how people tend to vote. So, um, in one of my classes that I took a long time ago on social welfare, we were studying about taxes and why is it that, you know, we have wealth in a small percentage of people and yet overwhelmingly our country tends to vote to benefit them rather than ourselves. And that kind of goes against what I was just saying that we are innately selfish, that we want to protect our own tribes, um, but we often vote to pay more taxes ourselves than to actually, in the end, try to provide ourselves with social programs that could actually help our communities. And um, one thing that came out in a study was that when asked about taxing the rich, overwhelmingly, a lot of people did not want to do that because they themselves felt like one day they would be in that group. And when they got to that point, they did not want to be penalized for their success. And that's why a lot of people vote against taxing the wealthy. Of course, nowadays you have a lot of lobbying that says, oh, if you do this, then Amazon's gonna raise their prices or you know, other things. But in the end, you know, they're putting their potential future, they're, they're projecting ahead 
And that's how they see these votes as benefiting them. That's interesting. No, that, that totally makes sense. And then we also, then we're looking at, again, like, I think that the narcissism and the egotism that we, we kind of shared in that quote at the very beginning, or that, that, that quote at the very beginning of the podcast and the show was kind of embodying the idea that we're kind of, what we do is like, what we do is, is innately selfish. Like, I think it's always going to come down to what we like, what we want as individuals is kind of what is always going to be the deciding factor. Well, then, I mean, then we have to have a purpose, right? That is greater than ourselves is greater than that selfishness, right? I don't know. I mean, that's, and that's hard. That's a hard concept. Like for me, right. One of my, I've written out like a personal mission statement, basically. Right. And my statement of purpose is that I talk, that I can see and hear opportunities to speak truth into people's life. So, I mean, I was over at my friend's house and his little brother is pretty quiet. And I just said, I just said to him, you know what? I'm glad you're here. Like you matter. You make this space better. Yeah. Uh, I, right. Like there's not many people that like I, I want to be able to to do have moments like that where I can um, can, can do that. And, and selfishly, that is me trying to um, empower somebody else. I guess that's where my selfishness lies. I want to just I want to spark somebody, something in somebody that nobody else is going to even think to spark. Right. That's my desire. Right. And then, again, yeah, then there's nothing wrong with that because it's also and then especially coming from your level of dealing with young people. It's something they need. They need to be they need to feel like they are not alone because the world kind of tends to kind of put them in that 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 zone. Right. Um, and that's 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 really important, I think, um, you know, to kind of do those kind of things. And then, you know, it's just what it's, it's 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 just this whole thing is really hard because it makes me kind of reevaluate what I what I do on a on a normal level. And I think that's what's great about this kind of idea. This show is kind of exploring these things, talking it out with you guys, and then finding um, faults in myself in these decisions that I've made on my own. Um, especially, uh, and I continue to try to. And I think that's what's important about is like learning something every day about. Our, our behavior and then try to kind of um, apply it and to trying to be to a better self, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if you guys do this, but um, my boyfriend and I, we like to do a lot of scenarios of like, would you do this if someone gave you a billion dollars or whatever? Um, but we also watch a lot of, you know, adventure action movies, apocalyptic ones, uh, where we will sit there and we'll just kind of talk about like, okay, what would we do if we were in this situation? And I feel like that really allows you to see how selfish of a human being you can be. <laughs> because oftentimes, you know, you'll be watching some sort of zombie survival movie yeah. and you'll see a group of people that you've connected with that you want to survive. And then someone, some outsider comes in and it's like, okay, you can, you can help them, you can save them, but you also risk sending a zombie horde at you and i often find myself screaming at the tv saying like what are you doing you stupid bitch don't let that person in <laughs> so you, then you know that you're like you're the type of person that would trip your friend next to you and use them as bait well no because they're not the outsider <laughs> that is letting the leading the zombie horde towards us yeah well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i think that like you know that so what i've decided this is kind of like you know kind of like looking at is like what you're saying tal is like i'm trying to kind of look at that um you know i read i read all these things and i think the way to kind of temper my ego and then kind of always kind of just kind of keep it down um 
is to kind of just share what I'm learning. Um, and I think that is a way of kind of dispersing that, that part of me, they kind of, um, so it doesn't inflate me to a point where I become uh, like, like, I don't know that I'm being egotistical, you know, I, it's almost became normal for me. And I never want to get to that level of um, that level where I'm just ignore, don't remember where I came from, don't remember the fans don't remember anything. Um, and I don't want to do that. So it's constantly trying to kind of um, keep myself on a level playing field and kind of keep myself balanced. And I think that's really all we can do. Right. Um, when we make our decisions, we have to try to think outside of our own world, think outside of, um, you know, like what's best for, what's best for, like you, like you said, Tal, we can't, there's so many people, there's so many things they want. We don't know what's best for everyone because we don't, we're not everyone. Like the same problem I have is not the same problem Spencer has or the same problem Tal has. We all have different needs and wants and they're all going to be different and we can't appease everybody. But I think that we can do is try to do is make the right decision um the best we know how i guess <laughs> I yeah i mean just because it's hard doesn't mean we can't try <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and uh just really quick i can't remember if i brought this up the last episode or not um but i do want to make sure that i bring up this national geographic article that I found that's titled, Why Do We See So Many Things as Us Versus Them? And it's really interesting because it gives some real life examples of, you know, how we choose groups, how we innately choose it. Sometimes it happens instantaneously for really odd and obscure things. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a decently long read, but it's a really good one. Uh, but one thing that was interesting in this article is that it highlights how in nature we see this happen a lot. Um, and there have been neurological studies that show brain activity that proves that yes, we as humans tend to associate with certain groups and we tend to like certain groups over others. And we can do it for very little, like just being told you're in this group and then showing a picture of, you know, whatever that group is, in that moment is enough for you to identify and light certain areas of your brain um, to identify them as part of an in-group. But on top of that, you know, they showed that there it is possible for us to negotiate and change the way we think. So one thing that is different from us from other animals is that we are able to change our groups and we are able to work with other groups. It's not easy. It does require facilitation. It does require, um, you know, negotiation skills. Uh, but the number one thing it also requires is being able to identify and acknowledge that we have these innate groups that oftentimes it is something that we don't even realize is happening. But if we're willing to recognize it, we can then work towards fixing it. Um, a lot of times we see what's called implicit bias. And so there are programs out there that are trying to train groups like police officers and even, you know, corporate managers to understand what implicit bias is, why it exists, and trying to teach that, you know, by saying you have an implicit bias isn't necessarily saying that you, you know, are racist or something like that. It's saying that you're human, that this happens because there are so many people, because we have so many, so much information being thrown at us that automatically 
makes us put things in groups of us versus them. And as long as you don't take it too far and you're willing to face it and you're willing to make adjustments because of it, you know, this is something that can be fixed. Um, and one thing that I do want to recommend that people look at is there is a website by Harvard about implicit bias. It's called Project Implicit. And they have a test that you can take based off of gender, religion, skin color. I think each test is maybe 10 minutes long. Let's do it right now. And we should all do it. <laughs> just 10 minutes of silence and clicking. <laughs> uh, and you can do it. And it gives you an idea of what your implicit biases are. It kind of helps you recognize that like, no matter how you know, you think that you might see people, like it's there and it's not okay for it to stay there, but it's okay that it's there to begin with, as long as you are willing to recognize it. And that as long as you're willing to work your way to fix it. And I think that's the, an issue a lot of people struggle with because, you know, as soon as you hear that you are purposely being prejudiced against a group, you automatically become defensive because you feel like you're being personally attacked. And that's a natural feeling, but that's a feeling that we need to get past because we can't improve unless we're willing to recognize that no human being is perfect, but we all have the capacity to be better. That was great, Tav. Like, I think I totally agree with you. I think that's kind of like, I think we have to have that. We have to, like, I think when it comes down to a lot of tribalism is that I, like, we can just detach ourselves from it on an individual level and know what's best for the situation and then, and then make that decision. And hopefully, like, obviously it might not be the popular one at the time, but it is the right thing to do. Right. And I think that sometimes it's the right thing to do is hard. And then I think that's that. But, you know, it's the, the right thing to do is to go against what the tribe is saying. And that's really difficult. Nobody's ever going to say that's easy. Um, yeah. And I think all of us will face that at one point. It's either you go along with the flow just because everybody's doing it and it seems easy or you do the right thing and, and, and not do it and I, or, or say something or do something opposite of what's going on and i think that's kind of um you know and i think like i think i really do believe egos think so ego and then self-gain is is kind of one of the biggest things that comes along with all these uh situations yeah i mean i think the biggest problem is a lot of times when you point out a flaw you automatically think oh this is bad you're a bad person um and like i said it put, makes someone very defensive and rather than admit that they are a bad person, you know, no one's ever going <laughs> to, very few people, some people will admit that they're bad people, very few will agree with that. And so rather than, you know, work towards a solution, they'd rather dig themselves more in a hole and try to find ways to defend themselves. And that's not really conducive to trying to improve. We need to, you know, tell, have people recognize that, yeah, it's possible for good people to still be bad. Um, and to really be a good person, you need to recognize those flaws, those bad habits, and work towards improving yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly, um, that's, that's everything. Well, it's creating that, creating that awareness, right? Like that is the if anything, any, if anybody gets anything, it's like creating the awareness of that implicit bias and making small movement or great movement to change in a direction where you're thinking outside of yourself 
and you're and you're opening up space in your own world for other people's existence. This week's offerings are go ahead, Tao. All right. Well, my offering is um, a rather old HBO television docudrama um, that still is very relevant today, and it's called "And the Pl Band Played On." It is a docudrama that was based off of a nonfiction book called And the Band Played On Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic. And essentially, it is a drama that goes over the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic, how it came about. And it follows a small group in the CDC as they try to track this disease, this unknown disease, and figure out how it's spreading and where did it come from? And it's interesting because you get an idea of kind of what the process is like now trying to uh, track COVID, um, but it also goes over the politics behind it. And, you know, the, the people who were involved, how people reacted, how people were resistant to trying to not only fund research and a cure, but also how people just didn't want to admit that it was a problem. And I feel like it is re really relevant to what's going on today. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting movie that you can watch on HBO Max if you have it. Uh, it has really great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. However, I think you know it's a hundred percent on there, but I think it's only like eleven reviews, so not exactly a big pool. But I would definitely say. It is an interesting movie to watch. Great. We'll check that out. Vince? Uh, just the conversation today made me think of uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, it is a documentary basically directed by Raul Peck. He is covering James Baldwin and James Baldwin's story of his relationship with Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and then how it correlates heavily with today's times as well, right? Like there's this still this history of uh, segregation and discrimination that la has lasted for, for a very long time in this country. And um, as we talked about kind of being upstanders and seeing, seeing something and saying something, um, that is something that I've shown my students uh, and and trying to get them to understand that the importance of um, respecting other people and not necessarily just going with the mass, even if that everybody is is uh, sitting there s spitting, slurring at an individual, s sitting there and saying, no, this is not OK. And I'm going to stand with this person that is being accosted. So that's uh, I am not your Negro. Uh, it's on Amazon, actually, not to promote <laughs> Amazon, but it's free on there. I, that's what I showed it to my students on. Um, so it's it's a it's a great piece of documentary work. Great, good way to check that out. And then uh, mine, uh, since we kind of started the dialogue with spotlighting uh, the interview on Daily Stoic, um, so we're looking at like Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic website, where he talks the, on a daily basis. He drops some. Uh, some knowledge based on the stoic philosophy uh, and then tries to make it for more of a modern audience. And um, there's a lot of great stuff there, a lot of great interviews on top of, um, uh, not on top of all his books, but on top of like, just like interviews with Robert Greene, which is uh, like awesome. I love Robert Greene's books. He did um, 
the uh, all the power books, the seduction books, um, you know, like the human behavior books. He does so many great stuff, and and I love how both these guys work because they tend to not just tell you um, what the, these these themes are. They tend to go through them and give you stories based on people, um, historic figures that actually use these things, like. Yeah, how to temper your ego, how to how to understand it, how to deal with it, and then how they dealt with it. Historical documents from all the way from the Stoics to to presidents to sports figures to um, actors, directors, all these different things, and how they deal with these things in real based on their real lives. So I think there is definitely stuff you should look into and check out. Dope, dope. Learn from your experiences and explore beyond your boundaries. Music by Quest Eons, produced by DJ Crumb, production by 